High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, hackers, texters, internet-savvy people, Generation Z, Generation Millennial, I don't even know what they're called anymore. Oh, and an extra special shout-out to all you badasses out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my house this evening. But first, school is still in session. Let's chat about your homework. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. So a bunch of assignments this week. First, did you follow us on Twitter? Did you follow us on Instagram? Did you follow us on Facebook? If you've already done that, good for you. Did you subscribe to this show on Spotify? Did you subscribe to this show on iTunes? You don't have to do all of them. One of them is fine, but all of them would be nice. (laughs) Did you subscribe to this show on Google Play? How about Stitcher? Did you leave us that five-star review? I guess it's a rating. I always mix that up. Did you leave us that five-star rating? Don't count this against me. Did you leave us a review on iTunes? If you didn't do any of that, shame on you. Big fat zeros. I'm going to give you a good, like, ten seconds of silence to pause this and go give High School Slumber Party a five-star rating wherever you can. I think iTunes is the best place, but if there's other places you can access and do that, do that. And leave us a written review. Please, please, please. All right, so your 10 seconds begins now. Okay, good. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. That helps the show more than anything, pretty much. Also, I always say the biggest thing is tell a friend. Tell a friend about the great experience of High School Slumber Party. Now to the big assignments. Because I see no one got John Cusack to unblock us on Twitter. But I have faith. But by the end of our freshman year, that'll be settled. I'm talking about the movies, though. That's why you're here, for the films. Did you watch The New Guy and listen to the episode for last week? Again, big thank you to Mike Rivera for coming on. And I gave a plug last week for his accounting service. He's an awesome accountant. You want to check that out. Listen to last week's episode to hear the spot. But more importantly, this week's episode. 
Did you watch the movie? Did you watch Assassination Nation? Can't tell you how many times I misspelled Assassination. It's a funny title, but whatever. If you watch the movie, well, you were warned within, like, the first, I don't know, 30 seconds? This film contained bullying, abuse, classism, death, drinking, drug use, social content, toxic masculinity, homophobia, transphobia, guns, nationalism, racism, kidnapping, the male gaze, uh, giant frogs, I forgot about that, sexism, swearing, torture, violence, gore, weapons, and fragile male egos. Ooh, it was a doozy. But you know what? I kind of enjoyed it. And someone who really did enjoy it was our guest today, Joey Lewandowski. So excited to begin this chat with him. But before that, you guys know, it's March through March, the Marching Band Appreciation Month. And I'm not going to let us off the hook. Just to recap, there are no marching band films. Well, no high school marching band films. So I was kind of disappointed that I wasn't able to do one this month. So I'm bringing on different guests, people I know, who have been in high school marching bands. Last week, we had Caragall Regan from Wistful Thinking. Awesome, awesome lesson on the tuba, if you will. And today we have former high school band drum major and my current and former co-host, Kyle Reinfried. I spoke to Kyle earlier this week, so let me just roll the tape, then we'll take it from there. March through March, guys. Hey, Kyle, thanks for joining me today on High School Slumber Party. Appreciate it. So, March is upon us, and if you haven't heard, I've been doing a special, I don't want to say promotion this March, but I've named March, March through March, High School Marching Band Awareness Month. Ah! And here's a little bit of history on it. I thought, hmm, what kind of movies should I do for March? Now, on our other show, P.S. I Still Love Hoffman, our Philip Seymour Hoffman podcast, Yes. we had the Hoff fans vote, and they chose kind of the obvious one, The Ides of March. It has March in the title. Today is actually The Ides of March. It makes sense. But I'm like, what would make sense for high school? So I thought... Duh, marching band films. Yeah. But guess what? what? I could not find a single marching band-centric high school film. Drumline's College? Drumline is College. That's what everyone says first. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what? For such an integral part of high school films, there's not one that's just based or like 90% based or 75% based on a marching band? That's... Pretty crazy, and I uh, and I and I know uh, via your uh, you know social media that you, what you spoke with Kara about you know her time in uh, marching band, and there's obviously American Pie, a high school movie that's this one time at band camp. <laughs> but that's just that's just band, and that's band camp. That wasn't marching band camp. It's the best of my recollection. Oh, true. I didn't so, even I think mean, about that. Huh. They didn't, really didn't make an emphasis. I mean, marching no. bands are are coveted. Like the marching is just like the pageantry and the and the choreography of the marching uh, to many a bands is just as important as the quality of your playing of the instrument. Like we, when I was in it, we had to 
boy, we had to know our spots because you're for especially the people who are sitting on the upper bleachers. You're seeing patterns come to play, and uh, it's I mean for for the for those national bands, it's quite a spectacle to see. And that's exactly why I decided to bring you on today, Kyle, because instead of marching band movies, I thought I'd bring on a couple guest speakers to discuss their time in the marching band. And you've been on this show a ton of times, and we've gotten a lot of marching band stories out of you. You, of course, were the drum major. And I guess for those listening today for the first time, what is the drum major? The drum major is the student conductor of the marching band. So you lead them in formation on to, you know, down to the field. You will also conduct them in the stands while they play music. While, you know, if it's obviously there's other sports, but let's just say football while this football game is going on, you'll play, you know, all the stand music and you'll conduct them in that but you will conduct the halftime show and that's that's the major role of the drum major and i guess they're called drum major because you are keeping you know the tempo and keeping the beat just as drummers do so and before that i was uh i was actually in the high school marching band even though our high school was a four year high school i was in it in 8th grade as well because they need an extra snare drummer specifically as i said for the purpose of the choreography they wanted to fill in a physical hole into it and they were like if you can play awesome but the most important thing is learn your marks so that's what i did mm, interesting um, and so i played snare drum for eighth grade freshman year and then sophomore year and junior year i was the uh, percussion section leader so there's always a student uh that is in charge of their uh instruments section so clarinet and saxophone and then you know the, all, all of those instruments have their section leaders and there was a uh, percussion section leader. And in the percussion section, there's... I mean, it's always different for every band, but ours was uh, snare drums, uh, different bass drums, uh, quad uh, drums, which are like the tom drums on a drum set, and cymbals, and then, you know, sometimes, like, on the sidelines, like xylophones and all other in- percussion instruments, depending on your halftime show. Wow, learning so much. What, what was the halftime show that you drum majored for? West Side Story. Ah, Maria. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It was a lovely melody of, yeah, uh, One Hand, One Heart, uh, Mambo, Maria, and Tonight. Those were the songs. Now, are uh, you in charge of just the band or the color guard as well? Or they do like. No, color guard. I mean, they can look up to me for. I mean, that's the whole thing. Let let me just put it. I mean, (laughs) it is important. But I am. At that level, I was like a backup battery because if you're, if you, you just automatically as a musician, you know how to keep tempo. And if you're hearing the drum line, you're more like, you know, you're keeping the rhythm being that. I am just more or less like a backup battery. Like you look up, okay, I'm on beat. Okay, he's at this part. Okay, you know, like, and I'll follow around. But no, it's not, it's not for the color guard. But even then, I'm just more or less a backup battery for the band. And you've told some fun stories on this show. Um, one of them was actually your time at Bandcamp. I think you said the whatever who was ever leading Bandcamp said to you guys like that you're drum majors and a major outranks the football captain or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I when I went to marching band camp up at UMass because UMass has one of the best national uh, marching bands. And so they run a, I don't, I forget the gentleman's name, but he is the, the, you know, uh, 
in charge of their uh, definitely their marching band program. I'm sure another part of the music program capacity, but uh, just a nationally ranking marching band, and they hold a band camp, and that's where our band director decided he wanted the drum majors to go every year. And so when I uh, was uh, elected drum major, that's where I had to go for. I think it was for. It was. For, I'm pretty sure it was for a week. Definitely like a long week. Definitely Fortnite, but I feel I feel like a week in like August, uh, and yeah, he uh, just really got us band nerds the confidence behind us when he told us, "Listen, football, you know, the jocks they always give you troubles. Now you get to say to them, I outrank you. You're, you know, I'm a major. You're just a captain." <laughs> that works out. That works out tremendously. Did it work out for you? Did you? Use I that never line? said that. That's a dumb line. No offense. <laughs> to the guy. It's just, it's just, you just never like I, I, you know, you gotta say a line like that. You gotta, you gotta physically be ready to do something as well. And I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> and we've heard about your band trips. Well, some of them. We've heard about a, a head of lettuce. Um, at Fuddruckers, all those. Oh are... yeah, we did talk about that with Wes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all those are in the archives at cageclub.me. Yeah, yeah, just listen to the ones that Kyle's on, and inevitably, at least once, y- your band stories come up. Is, is there anyone that you haven't told? Oh, oh a band story I haven't told? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, there's not. I mean, it's you know, it's been so long ago that I, <laughs> I, I'm sure I've forgotten plenty um just via time not like trying to hide it in the dark portions of my mind or something but um didn't no, you didn't you fall uh, in love with a girl at band camp oh there was a very yeah like she was <laughs> i feel like she was maybe from like connecticut or something you no know, i know where she was from kyle oh where she was from lowell massachusetts why do you remember <laughs> these things <laughs> I don't and know. Yes, she was, and I definitely. You know what, Brian? I'll do you a favor. I'll, uh, I'll uh, next time I'm at my parents' house. I actually I was in that in my childhood room the other day, and I was like just getting rid of a bunch of like clothes to bring to like uh, Goodwill and stuff like that, and I just saw on a shelf this photo album. I'm like, what do I have in a photo album? And I didn't open it up, and I just remembered at that point, like you know, I brought like a camera with me and I have pictures of her. I, you know, if, again, if you've listened to my episodes on slumber party, you know that I used to have long hair. And so I had this, this girl like did like a French something or other with my hair. And I was oh, just, I was absolutely, I was absolutely, your hair at band camp. absolutely smitten with her. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, and nothing ever came. I think it, her right? name was Chris. No, cause she lived up in Lowell. <laughs> Oh, the mill town of Lowell. I actually, you know what? They were performing, at least in the stands, or maybe like halftime college game at UMass. Like, they're high school marching band since Lowell is like close to there. Um, and my and then the whole thing, my sister also, she went to Mount Holyoke, which is on the same road. There's five schools that are on the same road Mount Holyoke, Smith, UMass, Amherst, and Hampshire. And I did look at UMass when I was looking at colleges. Um, but my se- our senior year of high school, I begged my mom. And I also like so was like, oh, let me get to visit Courtney. I begged her, and she did. She brought me up because she didn't want me driving all the way, even though we had a license driving all the way up to Massachusetts myself, um, to bring me up 
so I could see them at halftime, and that was like the last time. So I saw, I met this girl, and again, I think her name was Christine Christina. Met her at band camp at UMass, and then last time I saw her was like, I don't know, October of 2004 when I begged my mom and she took me up and I went to a UMass football game and saw her. Briefly, for like a minute. I was like, hi! And then she's like, hey, I gotta go play. I'm like, okay! Oh, <laughs> uh, poor, yeah. poor long, blonde, locked Kyle. Oh, I was just, I just <laughs> for a long time, did not know how to talk to women. Some say it was me once I cut off my hair was a big turn, uh, a uh, big turning point in my social interactions in general, but specifically with women. So the a- the opposite of Samson uh, <laughs> was gained once and, cutting my hair. And I believe that you were better off for it. I'm not sure that the world was. No, oh, no. <laughs> the world is just, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Worst uh, off place. So this might be a to-be-continued, because I definitely want you to... Uh... Maybe I'll we, find those pictures. Yeah, find and, those pictures. Yes. And, and yes. We'll discuss this. Maybe this. some more stories will uh, <laughs> come trickling back via the the, the tangible photographs. I, I might need to take a page out of your book, Kyle, and make it like a, a, a video thing, too. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> quite po- yeah. We'll, we'll look at the old uniform. We'll look at the uh, old photos. But <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for, I guess, educating us for the March Through March high school marching band support your marching band they they those guys you know it's it's an extracurricular i mean they're already they're in you know band in school most of the time and uh i don't know they're for your enjoyment they're for the halftime show and i mean our football team god knows was an awful football team so you weren't getting much entertainment from watching the football game itself so hopefully we provided some entertainment for the uh spectators during halftime I'd like to think so, you know, I'd like to think so. I was entertained, we'll put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kyle, now that I have you here, um, this was a big week for you on your podcast, Foodie Films. It was an awesome episode that I really enjoyed, and you had a big guest. Why don't you quickly tell the slumberers what's going on on your show, Foodie Films? Yeah, some exciting things happening on Foodie Films. I've been getting some great guests. I mean, I love all my episodes and all of my guests, but uh, I've been having some great uh, chances to speak with some bigwigs in the food and drink industry, and this week really kicks it off by uh, the episode I got to talk with Pat LaFrida Jr., the CEO of LaFrida Meat Purveyors. And if you don't know that name... You've most likely, uh, if you're from New York, you've most likely seen their trucks or had their product. They're, uh, it's just absolutely amazing. They they have, I mean, for everything from beef, pork, uh, lamb, and uh, even chicken. And they just, their, their product is fantastic. And Pat LaFrida Jr. Uh, was so kind, and he's a busy man, and put made time in his schedule to speak with me, and just, it was a great, uh, great, uh, you know, I tried to make it more of than just an interview, more of a conversation, but I had plenty of questions, I even asked, 
your host of Slumber Party, Brian, to uh, help me out with some questions and definitely asked a handful of his questions that he had and did a little shout out as well. So check out that episode and uh, check out more more episodes to come where I'm calling them the first cut and they're just they're special episodes because they're like I said people that work in the really work in the industry like big names and from obviously Pat works in meat distribution and I'm gonna have some chefs on and uh, you know hopefully some critics and uh, I'm gonna talk much more about food with them but I always make sure to make some time for the films that have great scenes so while we might not cover a food-centric movie we are talking I'm making it a thing to talk to famous food scenes so listen to the, uh, this most recent episode to find out what those scenes were and I try to make it like one if one's like a little bit more serious one's a more silly or just like a good juxtaposition to one another so I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, and as I say on my show remember there's always more to cut wonderful wonderful and it's a great episode definitely people gotta really check it out you're gonna have fun unless you're a vegan because then you might be just sad yeah <laughs> That's it's not. I mean, we, we for a moment we talk about the uh, the Impossible Burger, and you know alternate uh, you know protein you know option sources, but no, definitely don't go onto the YouTube channel and watch the video if you're a vegetarian or vegan or. Uh, you know, I mean, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's not, at their plant, it's already the product is shipped, and it's all, like, you know, they yeah, just... Yeah, it's not a slaughterhouse. It's, yeah, exactly, it's not a slaughterhouse. That, I'm, like I'm that. sure that doesn't make it better for certain people, but uh, yeah. you know what it reminds me of? Like, I guess it's Ace Ventura when nature calls, and he, and he goes into the room with all, like, the What taxi. a lovely room of death. <laughs> Of course not. This is a lovely room of death. Take care now. Bye bye then. Yeah, but uh, go to, go onto the YouTube channel. You know, Foodie Films YouTube channel, and uh, please subscribe. That really helps. Uh, you know, it's the same same deal as with our podcasts. Just subscribe and leave comments and review us, and all that is just so helpful. Because I mean, I'm still I'm going to be doing this because it's a uh, you know I love it. It's a hobby and interest for me. But what makes it better is getting to talk more with you guys and and. You know, and maybe either just you know making something that's more entertaining for you to listen or watch. So please uh, help us out in that way. Absolutely, and just quickly, the both of us too have a show that's coming out today. Oh, of um, course, yes, yes, yes. P.S. I still love Hoffman, which is our in-between episode. So just a recap: Kyle and I have watched all the Philip Seymour Hoffman films. We've podcasted all about them. And now we are re-watching films with commentary. So you pop in the DVD, go to your Netflix, wherever it's available, and listen to us talk over your movie. It's great. <laughs> but yeah. And that comes out on the 1st of every month. But on the 15th of every month, we kind of have just, you know, little conversations. Yeah, little catch-ups. Nothing unlike what we're kind of talking about today. Well, we're not talking about marching bands. We're talking about more Hoffman stuff. But we go on tangents, and we have a good time. And we announce what movie we'll be doing next month. And Moneyball was the winner for April 1st. So you want to check out on April 1st for baseball season uh, Moneyball. But today is the in-between episode. And you can follow us there, too, on 
any social media, pretty much. P.S. I love Hoffman and on cageclub.me, where you can find foodie films. Obviously, you can find this show, and you could find P.S. I love Hoffman. Of course. Any uh, Anything else you'd like to say on the Slumber Party, Kyle? But I think we'll be talking to you soon regarding this yeah. watching band no, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was, it was uh, thanks for having me on and letting me, you know, uh, rehash my, uh, a little bit more memories of high school and making, you know, fighting the good fight for the marching band. <laughs> they're, 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 they're kind and horny folk. <laughs> well, thanks for stopping by, Kyle. Thank you. You know what that sound means. Pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Let's take it away with this song that I love, because it's from this film, and it's from one of my favorite scenes. I mean, I didn't know it before this movie, but I've been listening to it a lot. We'll put it that way. Tommy Genesis, A Hundred Bad. Class dismissed. Had a bad bitches in the city. All the girls they are so pretty. Had a bad bitches in the city. All the girls they are so pretty. Why do you want me? How you any? So, Joey, normally, you know, you've been a guest on this show, but I'm actually going to call you a temporary assistant teacher today. Whoa! If okay. you will. Well, that's creepy because we're at the slumber party at this point. But you're the teacher, so like, <laughs> you're, you're also... That's the weird thing that I never thought about till just now, that the narrative of your podcast <laughs> is real weird. A couple people have brought that up, and like, off air, and I've been like, yeah, I didn't think about that when I did this. I've already done it for so long that I don't know if I'm going to change it, but... It is very weird. <laughs> it's not normal, I can tell you that much. Maybe for our sophomore year I'll change things up a bit and just be a student or something. But I like to think that the Brian in the slumber party is different than the Brian in the pre and post segments. Okay. You know, let's just leave it at that. But anyway, you're more of a co-host today because I require help. Maybe you're like my tutor. Okay. That I've invited Whatever gets to... you through the day, man. <laughs> that I've invited over to my slumber party so that you feel cool too. Okay. <laughs> so today's film is a film that you selected. Yep, yep. But before we dive in, Joey, yep. you have to know at this point how to introduce yourself on my show. I've been spending the last couple of minutes trying to figure out what the Salem High mascot is from this movie, and I can't figure it out. I found something that says The Witches, but I don't think it's The Witches, because I don't think it's that on the nose. No, but I Joey think it's... Joey Lewandowski, and Central Regional High School, class of 2006, Go Red Devils. Woo! Yeah, I don't know if they say the mascot in this film. I don't know. I'm I'm watching again as we record, so if, if if it comes up, I'll point it out. I guess I don't know. We'll see. I think the literal like Salem, Massachusetts is the witches, because I've seen. I think that. so too, which is kind of cool, actually. It's very cool. 
First of all, you rarely get women mascots for the whole school. It's always, like, men, and sometimes they add, like, lady. Sure. (laughs) Which is the weirdest thing in the world. I always think of, like, Tennessee. It's, like, the volunteers and the lady volunteers. Women can volunteer, too. But the witches, that's a rare one. And it also looks super cool, probably, on, on like, a basketball jersey. Oh, almost certainly. We, uh, We got some nicknames for the school in this film. Yeah, we get Slay Me High, which I really want that jacket. I mean, we were talking so a little behind-the-scenes magic. After we record this podcast, you, me, and resident historian Mike Manzi are going to record our All the Right Moves episode for Cruise Club because Fridays are for fun, after all. And in that movie, Tom Cruise plays a high school football student. He plays a cornerback. You can buy his jersey. But I really, really want, because I don't think it's made on the internet, because I don't think this movie is very big or well-known, at the end of the movie, that kid's wearing a Slay Me High jacket, which I really, really want, (laughs) because it's super cool. I just hope you're not associated with, like, the bad guys in this film. That's all. Oh, no, of course not. (laughs) But you know what? Amen for, like, continuity today, because doesn't All the Right Moves come out the same day as this one? So, yeah, so, I mean, it is perfect timing, because these episodes do both come out today, March 15th. Beware, Brian, the Ides of March, even though these two episodes are going to be, uh, as the kids would say in this movie, a straight fire, probably. So, Uh, so the film is Assassination Nation. I'd never heard of it. That's a lie. I heard of it, but only because... I saw you talking about it a lot. Because of this guy right here. <laughs> this film is like your baby. This is this is a film I know you've been recommending out there. I know yeah. you, you know, it did not do well in the regular theaters, but it was I think it was at Sundance. I have no idea. So I read so many different things about movies and I see so many different lists and I just add things to my watch list and I follow along when movies get added to VOD and stuff. This came out at some point, I just had it in the recesses of my brain. And on my birthday in December, when I was in the middle of my overwhelming year-end movie catch-up, where I watched like 75 or something movies or 80 movies or whatever in December, I was like, I want to treat myself to what could be... Because it's, it's this kind of movie where it could be my favorite movie or it could be a movie that I just like, mm, whatever. Yeah. And so it was my it was the morning of my birthday. I had some friends coming over later. We went out to Top Golf. You and Kyle and your lovely fiancé came down, which was very nice of you. Uh, but before we hung out, before my friends came over, I watched this movie and I was like, holy shit, I fucking love this movie. And it wound up being my favorite movie that doesn't star Paddington Bear from 2018. <laughs> from 2018. It's ironically but, a very similar movie to Paddington 2. Oh, it's, it's like the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're kind and polite, the world will be right. Actually, the moral could be applied here. So, But <laughs> again, wrong. you know, Paddington's moral could be applied everywhere. But fair, fair. <laughs> it seems like every year there's a movie... Maybe not exactly, but it seems like there's a movie where I'm just like, oh, this is the movie that everybody has to see. And it was this one. And I think if I remember right, you know, you'll do your Rotten Tomatoes thing in a little bit. But it's in that 60-ish percent, I think, by critics. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, I believe so. I was actually going to look it up on air because I forgot Because if, I feel like that's sort of my sweet spot because movies that are overwhelmingly positive are obviously either good or well-made or whatever. That's kind of boring. I've already said on here I don't really care about Rotten Tomatoes, but I feel like it's in that like 40 to 60 or 70 range where it's like, on the cusp of fresh, that's like the divisive movie where I'm just like, oh, this is like my sweet spot. That is not always going to work, mm. but it's the kind of thing where if it's split, it probably means that like, not to dumb it down this far, but like some people get it and some people don't. You know what I mean? Because this is a very extreme, very narrow kind yeah, of movie. Absolutely. <laughs> like it, it knows exactly what it is and it does not deviate from that at all. And I love that. 
Uh, the best way I can describe this is it's t- basically 2018 the movie <laughs> in, in, in good and bad ways, all of which I love about it. You're not wrong about that at all. So 73% by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. But 56 by the audience. That's fine. That seems about right. From what you're saying, that seems about right. Well, uh, I was telling you that like I've, t- I've told a lot of people to watch this movie, and like some people love it. Like, you know, Mike Manzi loves it. Uh, my friend Matt, who makes some movies in Hollywood, who like who basically likes the same kind of movies that I do, loves it. Other people, like you maybe, uh, not so crazy about it. But, you know, we'll see. Well, that's not true, and we'll talk about oh. it. But... Oh, well, then you maybe misled me with your little teaser. But okay, okay. No, okay. So just a little more be- behind the curtain, if you will. Ooh. I was more saying to you, like, you're going to have to help me because uh, I, I did not process everything in one watch. Okay, that's fine. You know, yeah. I'll tell you exactly how I felt about this movie before we even dive deeper in at the beginning i was very much like what the fuck is this and just getting bothered you know okay then as it built i really really started to like it i was still very bothered but i started to appreciate why it was bothering me (laughs) you know sure but i know like i I know people who i can or I can re- recommend this to everyone because this is a free country, but I know people who I and should. And also, it is, it is homework, right? Yes, so it is homework. So, you know. you know what? Yeah. Everyone, you have to see this movie. You remember that from last week. <laughs> but still, I know people in my life who are going to really love and appreciate this movie. I know people in my life who are going to be like, this is pretentious bullshit. Like, and I, I don't think this is the kind of movie that you tell Kyle to watch, for instance. <laughs> that might have been the person in my life I was thinking of. <laughs> I cannot confirm or deny that. <laughs> the foodie films man himself. But of course. And then there are people in my life who I know will will watch it and be like, what is happening? I don't really get it. Yeah. It's This is not a film for everyone, and that's very fair to say. Right. And I feel bad because on the release date, former guest of mine and one of the big Cage Club Network fans, Shawnee Mead, it's her birthday today. Oh, March 15th. Happy birthday, Shawnee. And this is like the least Shawnee movie in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, can't win them all. No, no, but I don't base the schedule on birthdays. This isn't kindergarten. This is high school, you know. So yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, but this is a, whew, a heavy, heavy film. Now, is it? Okay, so it's not heavy in a sense of like an epic, you know. Yeah, because the episode that I'm listening to right now, because I fell behind on, because I was traveling for work and I wasn't able to watch the movies that I wanted to watch, and so I was a little behind in your podcast because I want to listen in order, so I just got a chance to listen to, as we're recording, we need to talk about Kevin. And that, compared to this, that's like, that's a heavy movie. This is, (laughs) this is, as best described, aside from just being 2018 the movie, this is the Purge movie that I always wanted. Mm, That makes sense. So it's funny how these things kind of happen on this podcast. You know, I don't theme up my movies. I don't. I rarely have, if I've ever had, like, Christmas month. Well, I couldn't because there weren't enough movies. Or, like, as Wistful Thinking recently had, Matthew Lillard month. Yes. I just kind of go with it. But what's really funny is that, like, <sighs> I feel a little bit, like, guilty that I put my slumbers through We Need to Talk About Kevin. And then this, which is much more, I guess, upbeat, but it's still... It's not 16 Candles, you know? No. <laughs> um, and then, actually, the, the person you mentioned before, Mike Manzi, him and I last night, on the you know recording this, went to go see Hackers at the Alamo Draft House, which we'll do probably later this month. And 
you know, this is a film about a hacker. So there's a lot of, like, things in my life. Point is, now I'm very much afraid of hackers, and I've been deleting things from my phone. We'll put it that way. Okay. Fair. Not that I have controversial things on my phone, but, like, you never know, you know? You never know. You're very right. I also am of the mindset, like Bella Thorne in this movie, that, like, privacy is dead. I don't want my stuff to be out there, but I know that this is a world where anything that can be hacked will be hacked. If people want to get your stuff, no matter how diligent, how secure you are, good luck. Um, (laughs) That's the truth of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's scary, but if people want to get your stuff, they can get your stuff. That's just the world we live in today. And I think if you come to terms with that, it doesn't make getting hacked any easier, but it's something to always, I guess, keep in mind. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I don't I don't want to think about it, but the, <laughs> this film has really, really made me think about a lot of stuff. And that's why I'm, what I mean when I say it's heavy. It's not like heavy, like we need to talk about Kevin. Right, okay. But it, it certainly made me think about, like you said, 2018 <laughs> and the, yeah. the society and a little 2019. Not much has changed since, you know, what is it, March? Yeah, <laughs> Not much has changed, you know. That's something I was struggling with at the beginning, and not because it's not real and not good, but because, like, I didn't want to believe that we live in such a society where people t- oh, sure. people talk like that, you know? Well, there's also, I mean, there's, there's the line in this movie that I think is one of the most um, poignant, if you will, but it's toward the end. It's before the big confrontation, we will get to that, but our main character, Lily, in voiceover says, who sees a naked photo of a girl, and their first thought is, yo, I gotta kill this bitch. Turns out, way more people than you'd think, which is... I mean, we know, whether it's top of mind or somewhere subconscious, we know that, like, the world we live in is not good to women. Like, it sucks. Like, it's, you know, you can be better than most people, but, like, it sucks to be a woman. It sucks to be a high school girl. Like, it, like it's, this world is, I mean, it's getting better in theory, but, like, it's not great. And it's stuff like that where just like, oh, right, like, it's crazy out there and i don't know that this is necessarily the movie that's going to wake you up like i don't know if it's like intent is to be a woke movie but i think it is in a very heightened neon soaked kind of way yeah no that that's a good way to put it i was just gonna say it, it's heightened is a great word for it this is a movie that had me on edge the entire time uh-huh. one of the first hallmarks that you could tell that this is clearly very much an indie film was how many production company logos were at the beginning uh-huh. but i noticed one of them was uh refinery 29 which is oh. a great, I guess you could say like women's geared, but it's not just for women. I read the articles all the time, you know, but a, yep. a great, uh, we'll say feminist um, website for articles and stuff. And a guest we had this month, Erica W. Smith. Well, she recorded before she started at Refinery29, but she just started writing there and she's been writing great stuff so far. And I was like, okay, so just from seeing them, I kind of knew what direction this film was going to go, because i got to be honest with you, I Joey lewandowski this one. I knew nothing about this film. Very cool, very cool. (laughs) I appreciate that. It was the true Joey experience. Sure. We'll get into the way this film starts. I know it seems like I didn't like the beginning, but that's not necessarily the case. It was more that I I just didn't know where it was going, you know, and I was just feeling super uncomfortable. But every week I do this, I read the back of the DVD or the summary, and this one I actually found the back of the DVD rather easy, or could have been a Blu-ray, but whatever. So if you guys have not seen Assassination Nation, again, you haven't been doing your homework, but I get it, this this was not a big film. So here goes. High school senior Lily and her three best friends live in a world of selfies, emojis, snaps, and sexts. 
like mm, sexting. I already don't like it, but okay. <laughs> but when their town of Salem is besieged by a massive data hack, resulting in half of its citizens' private info spread into the public view, the community descends into anarchy. Lily is targeted after being falsely blamed for the hack and bands together with her friends to survive a long, blood-soaked night. So you said you weren't a fan of this. Well, I feel like that very simplifies the movie. Again, I am very defensive of this movie because mm-hmm. I love this movie. I feel like that very simplifies the movie. I think that sort of it sells this idea of, like, bubblegum pop. Like, everything is blissful, and then all of a sudden she gets accused, and, like, that's the rest of the movie. But, like, she gets accused, like, halfway or two-thirds through. Like, there's so much buildup to that. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that I was confused. And I guess I could say I didn't 100% Lewandowski this one, because I... And to be clear, guys, if you're not familiar, Joey, you don't watch trailers, and you try to read as little as possible before seeing new movies. (laughs) Um, But the one thing that was... I was confused by is that obviously I looked the film up just to see where I could find it, and and trust me, I'm just as guilty as it is because I'll probably use the image they use for the posters, but it's all of them in like that red gear with yeah. like the guns and stuff and the weapons. So most of this movie is not like that, you know? No. So that's why I was super confused. And this summary is kind of pushing that almost like Warriors style film. Or like yeah. we're just gonna be kind of like a run through not post apocalyptic, but kind of just like an anarchy society. And like you said, two-thirds of the film is not that. It's just this, like, great build. But to me, it made that last part so much more um, redeemable rather than just, like, a gore fest. And, you know, I'm not a horror guy, so I appreciate that. One of the pictures that I really, really like that I just put in our Discord chat, this is another one that I feel is a very, to use your word, iconic photo of Lily in the, you know, the, the USA, the American flag, bandana, oh, yeah. with the swords in her back. Like, that, I feel, is another one. But again, that's the end of the movie. Like, that's the last, like, 15 or 20 minutes. Like, there's so much of this movie that is sort of the ins and outs of high school, a girl trying to sort of maintain a relationship with her boyfriend and also kind of flirt with a guy that we don't know, but she refers to as daddy. And there's a lot of this movie that is sort of, even a movie that we talked about, you and I talked about in The Edge of Seventeen, which feels like a realistic high school movie, Mm -hmm. it's very, uh, in a different way than what I said about this one, it's very narrowly focused, like it's about one girl's life. Like this feels about like the high school experience more. Oh and I feel God. like it, and, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like it's doing it in a way that's different from most other movies. I'd say so. You know, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, this film kind of reminded me a little bit of 8th grade in terms of yeah. uh, the, just the social media aspect and the reality that everyone documents, not every inch of their life, because clearly that part is revealed, but they're kind of showing a version of themselves always. Yeah. And it... It just really, 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 like, pisses me off and scares me. But I'm the kind of guy who, like, I don't... I kind of like to be pissed off by movies, because at least I'm feeling something, if that makes sense. Sure. Rather than, like, the blasé. But I think that, that you know, the movie's also aware of the fact that everybody has documented everything. Like, early in the movie, Bex is like, do you mind if I tweet that? And, like, she just she tweets it. Or, like, later in the movie, where uh, Lily is with the principal who is also the father in Beale Street, which is great. If you haven't seen Beale Street, go see Beale Okay, Street. I'm like, where have I seen this yeah. guy's face in he's my the, life? He's the, girl's, he's the girl's dad in Beale Street. When she's talking to him, and she and he's like, you know, I think your drawings are too graphic. This is high school. What are you doing? Like, these are all, like, sexually explicit. Lily, Lily, these are pictures of naked women in pornographic poses. <laughs> it's not just explicit. It's extreme. 
what's extreme, the drawings or the fact that there are five billion naked selfies online? I mean, I was asked to draw from life, and this is life. Well, no, 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 no. It's an aspect of life, sure. But I'd argue that there are many other areas of life that are more deserving of your talent. Ooh, I disagree. But you're a man. I don't expect you to understand. Try me. And she does that whole speech, and maybe you can cut in here, but this whole speech about how, like, you know, there's so many nudes on the internet, and, like, and girls have to, like, wonder how it's, like, you have to worry about, like, the shadow and the angle, and, like, are you going to look fat, or, like, are you going to, like, have to hide that mole or hide that hair? Like, there's all these, like, considerations of not only how you're, do like, the fact that you are documenting your life, but also how you're doing that. All you're looking at is the nudity. This isn't about that. This isn't about the sex or the porn or even being naked. This is about everything that goes into it. The pressure, the endless mindfuck, the 10,000 naked selfies you took before this one, trying to get it just right. Trying to make sure the light hides your left nipple because it's slightly inverted or it's smaller. Or maybe your labia is too big, but if you pull your pelvic bone up and bend to the left slightly in a low light setting, then you'll be beautiful. Hashtag flawless, body confident. But it's all one big lie. You can never be because nobody's flawless and all it takes is one fucking asshole to remind you of that. One guy to say lol or she's nasty and you're right back at square one. So, okay, maybe it is explicit or extreme, but it sure as hell looks like life to me. Okay, <laughs> um, Lily, you really caught me off guard with this one, okay? Okay, it's, it's obvious. You're extraordinarily talented. With your grades and your talent, you'll be able to go to the school of your choice. Hey, listen to me. People want to take notice. They're going to listen. But hey, Lily, right now, this is high school. Okay? High school. And whether fair or unfair, there's a limit to what you can say. Capiche? Capiche. Grazie. Prego. Like, it's not just like a, should I send this tweet because how is this going to look? But like, how many pictures of myself do I need to take before I get the one that projects me as the person that I want to be to the world? And I think that this movie gets it in a way, like I was saying, that a lot of other movies don't. Like, it, it really defines that in a very specific way that I really, really like. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know, because I've been trying to read anything I could on this film, and there's not a lot of scholarship on it. But apparently, like, either that scene or a version of that scene was cut for the theatrical release. Oh, yeah, I meant to watch, because I have the Blu-ray, and I meant to watch, there was a scene that was cut that was, like, that kept it from being... You know, NC-17 or whatever. I gotta watch that again. Or I gotta watch that for the first time. I didn't see that for this, but... It somehow relates to this scene. So maybe her speech even goes further, or, like, we see more of her drawings. I'm not sure. But yeah, that, that's what I read, too. That's, like, one of the only substantial facts on this film. Oh, but I wanted to read um, IndieWire, which is obviously a film website. 
Uh, one of their critics, Eric Cohn, he described the okay. movie as the most aggressive high school movie in film history. Yeah. And I know he doesn't literally mean just, like, aggressive, but there is that. But this is a film that I, I'm curious what its staying power is going to be, because, again, it's not that well-known. But it's certainly, to me, and obviously I've seen a lot of them, it's one of the most groundbreaking high school films I've ever seen, whether you like it or not, you know? Right. I think just based on how it tells the story that it tells, I don't see that this being, like, I can see this instantly becoming a cult classic that I think that people are going to watch this forever. Like, I'm going to watch this forever because I just think it's so ballsy and so out there. I don't know that this is the kind of movie that, like, most people are going to see, but I do hope that this is the kind of movie that inspires other people to make this kind of movie. That, like, Mm. you can make it work, that you can have one of your main characters be a trans woman, and just, that's just part of the story. And, like, not only is it part of the story, but, like, it's part of the story in a way that, like, is crucial to the plot, but doesn't feel uh, objectifiable. Oh, my God, yeah. And, look, I'm not a trans person. Um, I know you're not a trans person. So I don't know if, like, uh, a trans person seeing this would agree with what I'm going to say. But I just, I loved... um, the depiction here because they didn't ignore it it was obviously a big part of the film but her Uh friends did not treat her like the trans friend you know no she was just one of the girls exactly and i I, it was like almost like beautiful to me there's so much i love about this film and you know i i probably don't like it as much as you like it i definitely know why you like it just from like knowing you enough now and knowing the films you like but i'm very very impressed with this film yeah, and again, cool. I know Good. it's not for everybody. Uh, I want to just mention some uh, cast and crew members here. The director, uh, Sam Levinson. Do you know yep. him? Have you heard of him? No, but that's the one thing that I wanted to uh, point out that this is this movie is written and directed by uh, a white dude. I don't know if he's straight or not. I can't. He doesn't have a whole no, lot of. No, but yeah, I thought that was interesting, right? I kind of wish that like like what I was seeing on Letterboxd, which I talk about a lot, is a lot of people on there saying that imagine what this movie would have been like if it was written and directed by a woman, which I think it would have added a little bit more. But I do think, and again, this is coming from my straight white male cisgender whatever head that it touches on things that other things haven't maybe it could have gone further maybe it could have been more accurate maybe it could have done this maybe it could have done that but i feel like the fact that he is able to tell a story as well as it is told as interesting as boldly as ballsy as it is is great like could it have been more inclusive or whatever t- told from a different perspective sure but i don't know yeah i don't know do, I, do I know him though i i've seen Ooh, no. I mean, I saw Toys, that he was in Toys, that Robin Williams, that weird Robin Williams movie, he was like an extra in that. Oh, um, I was like, wait, what? He's in that? <laughs> but no, other than that, I haven't really, he was in, oh, he was in Another Happy Day, which was written, which you just talked about, the Ezra Miller movie, Ezra Miller movie. Oh, yeah, okay. Which you just talked about on the episode with uh, with Alec. Um, that I, it's a movie that I do want to see, especially now because of him, but also because, you know, I love Thomas Hayden Church and, you know, knowing that. Ezra Miller was as good as he was, and we need to talk about Kevin. Got to see this one. Absolutely. Um, is he an actor in it, though? So he's, like, usually an actor? No, he's he's normally... I think he, he acted a little bit, but he wrote and directed Another Happy Day. Oh, okay. Wow. That, now this makes me... Oh, the connections are great. He today. acted in four things. I've only seen toys. He directed this. He directed Another Happy Day, so seven years in between. Um, he wrote The Wizard of Lies, which was that uh, De Niro movie on HBO about Bernie Madoff. Oh, really? <laughs> um, and then he wrote 10 episodes of a TV show called Euphoria, which I don't know mm, what that is. I don't is. know what that one is either. That's interesting. But it's an, oh, a, a look at life for a group of high school students as they grapple with the issues of drugs, sex, and violence. Oh, wait. This is coming out. 
This is going to be on Showtime, I want to say, or maybe HBO. Oh, okay. Zendaya, Zendaya is in it. Oh, yes, so yes, yes. I know what you're I talking about. I will absolutely see yeah. this. Yeah, yep. Yeah, okay. That's that's awesome. All right, okay, cool. Like this, I feel more connected now to, to what this project yeah. is. What's funny is I don't think, um, how can I put it, like, I get what you're saying, and again, I am also a guy, so mm-hmm. I probably can't make this statement, but if I didn't know who the director was, I would have just assumed it was directed by a woman, because it does feel so uh, women-centric, and again, that's probably a terrible thing I just said, but the, it's the truth. Probably. It's, it's the truth, though, you know, and, and it, maybe it shows my own um, prejudice, but you can't say that it's, it doesn't put a good effort to be inclusive you know sure no i agree i would say 99 percent of films are so much less inclusive than this one right what i do like and we talked about bex who's a trans woman the trans character played by an actual trans woman right off the bat there's like sort of like a, a spoiler alert for the entire movie like trigger like they call it trigger warning yeah. like here's what you're gonna deal with and they have like 15 or 20 things it's like uh murder sex rape homophobia transphobia all this different stuff and like it shows all these different like things like scenes from the movie like a, a second or two of like something terrible happening you're like oh there's gonna be a like we're gonna we're gonna deal with some heavy shit here and one of the plots in here is that one of the football players uh, has a crush on Bex and yeah, hooks up with her at a party and his football teammates find out and they want to beat the shit out of him for basically what I mean being like they use slurs but like for being gay essentially right and at the end of the movie when the town goes crazy wants to kill these girls they go to uh, hang Lynch uh, the trans girl and a trans woman and Diamond the football player who hooked up with her says, no, I won't do it. She didn't embarrass me, you embarrassed me to his teammates. So on the the scale of what this movie is about, that's low on the totem pole, Mm -hmm. but it's important enough that it's a through line throughout, and that character at least has growth. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this movie very, really accurately portrays mob rule and, you know, the the craziness that is the incense, like basically, you know, the purge, like what happens if there's no rules? Like what happens if you're able to like if if town and society are basically like, oh, no, you can go kill these girls because like what they did and just seeing that. And I, th- I feel like the movie does a good job of that, but also takes small examples and saying, like, if you're able to break from that mindset you can grow, you can become a better person. Yeah, no, uh, that was really one of my favorite uh you know, elements and storylines in the film. Again, it's not the main one, but it's it's one you really feel, you know? And Bex is played by ha- Hari Neff. Hari Neff, Hari yep. Neff. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Definitely, like, a familiar face. I, I had seen her definitely on, like, magazines and stuff. I think she's a model. I think so. I'd never seen... I've never seen her in a film, but I, if this is like the only thing she's done or if she hasn't done a lot, I think she did an awesome job. Yeah. And I have to say that about a lot of people on this cast. The only person I knew in this movie from before, I think, was, well, aside from, I guess, there's Bella Thorne, who's been in a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. lately, and uh, Suki Waterhouse, who was in The Neon Demon. She was the star of The Neon Demon with Keanu, oh. um, which Mike loved, which I liked. But that was Mike's like favorite movie from two years ago. Okay, um, so she's from that. All right, so yeah. the lead is someone called Odessa Young. Had you heard of her? No, and I actually looked her up the other day when we I watched this. I couldn't find anything I knew from her. I thought she did great, though. I'm trying to see. What else has she been in that I would have seen? Um, she was in movies that I'd seen, like Sweet Virginia I saw, but I don't remember much about that movie. Yeah, but I feel like this is... It's the kind of movie that... 
I think would kind of scare off more established actors in a way. Uh, you know, Bella Thorne is a young, edgy woman who likes to be in this kind of thing, like just kind of likes to be aggressive and whatever. Um, and she does obviously doesn't mind being like what is she, the butt of jokes in this movie. What is she most known for? Because I know her and I know her face. She was a Disney star. Oh, okay. I mean... So I this guess. is all part of her like rebellion against that gotcha. image. Gotcha. Because I've definitely seen her. I just didn't know... Like, if she had a signature role yet. Yeah, she was in... What was her Disney show that she was in? She was in Shake It Up. Mm, 75 okay. episodes of that. Wow. Um, but yeah, she was She was a child actor. She was, like, I think, kind of like how Spring Breakers sort of broke the mold for, like, Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson and Selena Gomez. And we're like, hey, we're adults now. This is kind of, I think, like, part of Bella Thorne's transition into a adulthood in a way like i'm not that girl that you knew what would you say the movie for uh zach efron is that did that it's a very good question he he had a weird path uh and that joe and i have documented well on zach attack so go listen to zach attack he, he was still him through high school musical he did hairspray which was the same kind of thing he did me and orson wells which is not that 17 again is sort of kind of similar charlie st cloud is sort of in there i feel like he kind of transitioned into like i'm a man now sort of in like the lucky one which is with piper from orange is the new black where he kind of plays like this like sexy i mean sexy in every movie but, like <laughs> uh he plays like this like sexy like guy who just stays at a house and falls in love with an older woman um but i feel like it's really like that awkward moment and neighbors like in that 2014 era where he's just like uh... i'm not like now i'm comedy bro you know what i mean yeah and... neighbors is a good place and Joe and I have talked a lot about how he was sort of the wholesome kid, the good-looking kid, kind of transitioned into, like, you know, still the the boy that your your mother would be or everybody would be proud for you to bring home. And then he's now in this thing where it's, like, neighbors and that awkward moment and we are your friends a little bit and Dirty Grandpa and Mike and Dave and Baywatch and stuff where it's just, like, he's in that now and we're waiting for him to go to that next level. And mm. I think sort of between like the disaster artist and kind of greatest showman a little bit, but the Ted Bundy movie and the beach bum and stuff where it's like, he might be transitioning into, cause he, I think he, we do think, and this is not a Zac Efron podcast, but we do think that he's a really good actor. And I just don't want him to be, be pigeonholed into that. Like, Hey, I'm the sexy uh, frat bro in these comedy movies with Seth Rogen for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, I agree, because I feel like he moved out of the Disney phase, but stayed in the next phase, so I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so Suki Waterhouse's agent, I did write this down, advised her not to take this role. Oh, okay. And she's just like, I love the script, I'm going to do it anyway, so, which is awesome. <laughs> well, good on you, Suki. And uh, her sister, I guess, right? Because they have the same last name, are they? And they live together, so I assume they're sisters. Um, M. Lacey? There's Sarah Lacey and M. Lacey. Oh, I don't... Okay. Played by Abra. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I don't know because and a couple times Suki they say is white and Abra's yeah, black. Yeah, no, I, I know, know, but a couple times they say the Lacey sisters. Maybe, but I don't know. But if you notice, um, the father is white and the mother is black, so maybe they were like adopted into a family together. They're certainly not mixed. I'm not trying to be, you know, we don't have to. Oh, because she does, she does come home and she says, "Who's that rapist on the couch with your mother?" I guess maybe it's a, you know, a stepsister kind of thing i guess i don't know which yeah they don't make a big point of it in the movie which if that's the case i like because it's just it's not a big deal like that's right. okay you know it, because it's not a big yeah. deal and i only really figured that out because again towards the end of the movie they said we're the lacy sisters and i'm like oh and then i realized yeah they do live in the same home and then i saw the credits and they have the same last name so i, I didn't know who this abra person was but i thought she did a good job too that's like the core four lily sarah bex and m and the other two people i knew in this film besides the principal you said who was from beale street 
And now I realize the two other people I knew, like for sure, were Bill Sarsgaard, who plays Mark. Yep. It. Yeah, because or whatever Pennywise. Yeah, yep. Pennywise and it, and Joel McHale, of course. Of course, and also I don't know who she is in this, but Maud Apatow. Yeah. Maud Apatow is in this somewhere. I think she's just... Uh, oh, I think she's the girl who kills Bella Thorne. Yes, yes. I believe so, too. I saw her name on there, and she actually is an Apatow, right? I think she's Judd Apatow's daughter. Yeah, she's the older daughter. Gotcha, okay. Because okay. she's been... She was in, like, This Is 40. She's in all those... Yeah! Like, from a certain point, she was in all of his movies. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Huh. But, you know, we wouldn't call this a well-known cast. There's no one here where... No one's gonna see this movie because they know somebody in the cast unless they're, like, a relative of them. theirs, you know? Well, so I'm also weird in that way where, like, if I see... It, it it doesn't always work, but there are certain actresses and actors who I'm like, all I need to know is that they're in a movie, and I'm going to see it. Like, for instance, we just talked about it a little bit ago, but Edge of Seventeen, Haley Lou Richardson, who is the friend who starts dating the older brother, mm. when she's in a movie, I'm like, I'm going to watch this movie because she she pretty much only does good things. There are other actresses that I watch movies of that they're in just because I'm I think they're cute and I think they're good actresses and I want to see them in movies but I think that like there's certain actors and actresses who are like if Haley Lou Richardson's in a movie like I didn't know anything about Columbus and I saw Columbus and Columbus was great I didn't know much about support the girls and uh, she's she was in that and it was great and I feel like it's the kind of thing where I was like Suki Waterhouse was deleted this really cool weird movie I might want to see her in there I mostly agree with you that like you're not going to see this unless like, it's not like there's, oh, it's a, it's the new Keanu Reeves movie or whatever. Yeah, no, I guess that's my point. You are probably yeah. going to see it. Or even people who podcast on our network might see it for yes. those certain characters. But I think of people like my mom, you know. <laughs> yeah. Perfect examples would be people you podcast about all the time, Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. When they do something, it becomes a Tom Hanks film or a Tom Cruise film. Yeah. And this doesn't have that, which I like because it... <sighs> You know, it doesn't distract from it, like what they're trying to do. I always like when they have uh, actors like this, but I know it's probably like budget things. I'm sure they would love to have Tom Cruise in this. Well, not really. But, you know. <laughs> but I also don't know that that would serve the plot. No, not I feel at all. Like, I mean, because I, I, Bill Skarsgård is, or Bill Skarsgård? Skarsgård. Yeah. Bill Skarsgård is like known, but he's also mostly known, I think, for playing a clown in makeup. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you have any kind of preconceived notions in this, even though he is 100%. a little bit of a monster in this movie. I would say the most... The person with the biggest preconceived notions here, well, probably Bella Thorne if you're a Disney fan, or Joel McHale mm-hmm. if like you're a fan of Community yeah. or something. And neither of yep. them, neither of them play to that type, so it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, no, certainly, certainly like Joel McHale. I, and I love Joel McHale, but I, he definitely at times took me out of it because I was thinking of a different Joel McHale. But then he very much makes me realize that he's not that guy. You know? <laughs> right. No. Yeah. You're right. So uh, I mean. Let's get into, like, the scenes, if you will. Are there any uh, early scenes you want to talk about or anything that really stuck out? Early on, let me see here. So I like that they go into the... As she says, it gets pretty graphic. They go into the, the preview of the entire movie. Wait, wait, wait. Um, I was going to ask you, are those actual scenes from later in the film? I think so. Okay. I'm pretty sure. So this movie establishes a tone and a pace and a rhythm in a few very distinct ways. I think the soundtrack, the score, the score more than the soundtrack. The soundtrack is cool. The soundtrack is very cool. I love it. Especially soundtrack. when like they're walking and Beck says, I love this song. They're like, what song? She says, this song. And then just the song comes on. Okay, she was found not guilty, Bex. That's live. What the fuck's Casey gonna do? Sue me and reopen that can Oh my god, that reminds me. I have a 20,000 word Nancy Grace fanfic in my draft right now. I literally forget how weird you are sometimes when you just pull up some shit like that. No, no, it's actually super legit. Oh my god, I love this song. What song? This song. Charlie. Bad bitches in a city. 
Like it's a little sort of meta breaking the fourth wall kind of moment, but it's like the soundtrack to their lives. Like it's just that's fucking cool. Like I just love that. But I like that the score there's like this like pulsing rhythm throughout the movie that like never really lets you feel at ease because you kind of know what's coming because of that whole it gets pretty graphic spoiler alert trigger warning for the rest of the movie. You know shit's about to hit the fan, so like you can never really calm down. I feel like the score helps with that. I also think what's really really cool when they establish this really early on is the split screen where they have three different scenes going on at the same time or they use that they replace one with another and they have you know maybe two-thirds of the screen is one scene and the third is another thing or whatever i think it's these like visual flares that you could sort of maybe deem not necessary or whatever but i think that help establish this as its own unique thing and that really kind of set the pace of like, this is phone culture. This is us capturing mm-hmm. vertical video. This is us living our live on Snapchat and Instagram. And this is the way that we're going to tell the story. And I feel like it's not necessarily scenes early on that I want to talk about, but sort of stylistic and artistic yeah. flares and stuff that really kind of set the pace and set the tone and set the mood for what you're going to see and sort of teach you how to watch the movie, right? Absolutely. Like So when I was first watching that uh, the triple scene like that, yep. I was hating it i was pissed i'm like i don't know what to pay attention to because i'm trying to figure out the mystery right like how do we get from those Mm -hmm. scenes that they briefly show at the beginning to what you know from where we are so i was trying to figure it out and i was like this is too much but after the movie i thought back at it and i couldn't agree with you more like it just represents the noise of our society especially with high schoolers and teenagers it's just how much shit is just going on and like you said the vertical the verticalness of the videos yeah it's one of these films that i think afterwards once they all tie it to like it all ties together that i could look back and be like oh i was supposed to feel kind of confused you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i also don't know that it i don't know that like i don't want to say that it's not important to watch any one thing there but i feel like when they're hitting you with three things at once i think it's just sort of like a like a tasting menu, like just pick what you want to watch. Because I feel like it also, in a way, embodies the fact that you can pick up Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever and just be scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and like just be overwhelmed by video and pictures Absolutely. and sound and noise. And you can sort of choose what you want to watch, choose what you don't want to watch, watch it all, watch none of it. I feel like it sort of reflects that way that we're all overwhelmed by just how much is out there for us. Oh, yeah, 100%. Think of, like, media. There used to be, what, like, four channels? So if, yeah, if you three. Yeah. If you were on TV, it was a really big deal <laughs> because a third of the population, theoretically, was watching, the TV-watching population was watching you. But now, like you said, we have all this choice. Like, that seems almost like channel surfing, which is, again, kind of an archaic term, or just cycling through through uh, your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed, you know? just You're just going through and you're you're getting little bits of things and maybe later something sticks out maybe it doesn't and i think it also actually does a good job of when something's important kind of dulls the other two really accentuates the one we should pay attention to anyway when i was watching it i hated it but (laughs) but now that i think back at it like oh fuck, they got me. And not like they got me like I'm pissed off, but like got what they were doing, you know? I also think that it helps you by 
there's only audio from one, right? There's the there's either audio from none or audio from one. Yeah. And I feel like when there's audio from one, your brain naturally drifts towards that shot or that third of the screen, and you watch that. And you may be missing, because, like, it's all at the party, right? And, like, it's like Bex is with Diamond and Lily's with uh, Pennywise and whatever. Like, everything's, <laughs> things are just happening, and, like, they're fighting and whatever, and it's all telling the story of the night but you're kind of going to get a recap afterwards anyway, as much as you kind of need, right? So watch it all, watch none of it, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, I agree. You kind of mentioned the first, like, dramatic incident, and it was with Diamond and uh, Bex, you know, and and there's that. But then I I think the first, like, main incident is when the principal... No, who's the... Oh, the mayor, right? Mayor gets hacked. It's when the mayor gets hacked, yeah. We see that happen, and, you know, we don't really know the mayor as a character, so it's not that... It's a big deal to us, but it's not that big of a deal, you know? Right. And I like how it keeps getting closer and closer and closer with the hacks, you know what I'm saying? Which I also, I mean, fast forward to the very, very end. I wonder if that's intentional or not, because we find at the very end that it's all being perpetrated by Lily's brother, right? And so he threatens her. He's like, you know... Erostradamus or whatever his, his name is is coming for you like very early on and she's panicked the whole movie but I wonder if he didn't do her on purpose for that reason hmm I mean obviously he has no morals because he's doing what he's doing but I wonder if he went big and then sort of narrowed in and then he had no idea of knowing that like hacking Joel McHale was going to lead to Lily uh, being exposed you know what I mean yeah, no, because she's never a hundred percent hacked, right? No, oh, that's... she's only she's through the basically the process. And what I also another thing I love is like through the the power of Reddit for good and for bad. That like when uh, Joel McHale gets hacked, he gets posted to Reddit, and people are like, "Yo, who's this babe? Let's find her out." And you can see the comments. It's like, "Oh, I just found a bunch of yearbooks online. I got to narrow it down to ten people." And so then. When that sort of, when, you know, the school finds out about that, and that's when Pennywise sees and thinks it might be her, and then that's when he pins her down and, like, reveals her, and, like, it's the same, you know, birthmark or whatever, and that's when she's sort of exposed to be this whole thing, and then that's also around the same time where that other kid, that sort of weaselly kid, says that it was her doing the hacks the entire time. Yeah. There's a lot. When I say Mm -hmm. a lot to digest, it's not like it's complex, but... It's one of these movies that you think back on. I mean, you've seen it multiple times now, so I'm sure you can answer a little bit more questions. But, yeah, no, like, uh, we'll get to, like, the the scene with the brother at the end, though. But that was like, oh. The lulls. <laughs> I mean, what scenes do you want to talk about here? Like, how do you want to progress this? Um, this is not like a scene movie, you know? Or just some quotes that I really like that I wrote down. Like, I literally have a 20,000-word Nancy Grace fanfic in my draft right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just love that this is a world in which, like, fan fiction exists, that one of our main characters, and, like, I think one of them, that, that was the Abra character, who says, like, so, I sometimes forget how weird you are. Like, that's a thing that, like, that they don't really give her shit for. It's just like, oh, that's a crazy thing to have, but, like, whatever helps you get through the day or whatever. <laughs> if you want to write a 20,000-word fan fiction about Nancy Grace, by all means, go for it. I like that. And I think you hit the nail uh, I, on the head, when, what you're saying, in terms of, like, I don't have, like, too many scenes written down, but I have so many lines. And isn't that, like, our, our culture, like, our Twitter culture, our Facebook culture of statuses? Just, like, witty lines, if you will? Like, what did I write down? Like, fuck, fuck boys. I like that one. Fuck, fuck boys. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote that down, too. It's great. It's a great line. <laughs> Some of these lines are, are really great. And, and not not all of them are funny, because, uh, you know, the mayor ends up, like, shooting himself 
because he was, I guess he was exposed. Either he has like a wife and his family, but apparently he possibly could be a trans person, or he's at least a cross-dresser. It, it sucks because it doesn't mean he can't have a family. Was he cheating on his wife, though? I don't remember, like, the specifics. We just see some photos, right? Uh, no, I think I think he just was into some kinky shit. Like, he liked dressing like a woman. I, um, I think the bigger deal, though, was that they kind of implied that he was, like, super conservative and, like, against that. That's the whole thing, like, you know, because Beck says, like, why is it everybody? And this is, it's proven to a certain extent in real life, too, that, like, the most or not always, but, like, some of the most outspoken anti-gay politicians and stuff harbor, you know, these secrets that they're, like, they're railing against themselves, that they don't feel confident in what they're actually into, their own kinks, their own vices, their own sexual proclivities, that to sort of tamp that down within them, they're railing against other people. Yeah. And so it's the same thing here, like, you know, this guy who apparently, for all intents and purposes, was not very uh, progressive, that we don't really see much of, but he, in his private life, uh, does some, you know, shit he's railing against in a way. Yeah, that he, him, not necessarily shit that is, like, you know, wrong or anything. No, nothing's wrong. But, Nothing is No, wrong. but it's just that, like, he's a hypocrite, clearly. Um, and he, he ends up shooting himself. Dwyer style, calls a press conference, kills himself. Absolutely. Yep. It's a very powerful, like, moment to me when they're in the pool, and Beck's, like, kind of just like doesn't care that it happened and i wrote down the line she says like you wouldn't mourn mind my death why the fuck would you mourn his you know you know like i i get it certainly from her point of view like i totally i totally get that but the next person to get hacked is the principal which i like that's the one see i don't think anyone watching not anyone but i think most people watching it don't really want to say care about the mayor but we don't really know him we kind of know he's a douche not that we want him to kill himself, but we're not really attached to him. But when the principal who, yeah, he was trying to uh, block Lily from things at the beginning, but he seems like an okay guy, you know what I'm saying? But he also gives her the notebook back. Yeah. He feel, like he. I think in his mind he has this idea that of a certain way that things are supposed to be done. Like, this is a school, don't be drawing women spreading their labia. Uh, for the camera. Like, don't draw that. This is a school. But then, like, when she explains, well, this is why I'm doing this as a reflection of the world that I see, he's like, you know, I didn't, like. I feel like he's conservative but open-minded. Yeah, um, yeah, no. Or centrist but open-minded. And I think the movie takes that a step further where the things they most hold against him are the nude photos of his six-year-old daughter, which is, again, they're like, why is he a child molester? Well, like, it's not. But, like, once that narrative is out there, you can't stop it. Can't that. stop it. Um, and also, like, here are some of the titles of the Pornhub videos that he watched, and it's just like, but it all feels like sort of, like, innocuous shit for the most part, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, so this guy watches porn, um, and he has photos of his daughter in the bathtub, and now, because of that, he's supposed to resign as principal? Like, this guy who is, by all intents and purposes, good to the children, listens to them, is with them, you know, on their side, because of those things, like, his life is now ruined? And I think that the movie does a good job of, like, showing, again, that mob mentality of, like, well, look how fucked up this guy's life is. It's not. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, like, the, it's it's the cancel culture. Like, the mayor, I don't think he should have been pushed to suicide or anything like that. But he was clearly being a hypocrite. The principle, it draws us in more to be like, huh. It makes us question, actually, even things that go on in our own society today. I know it probably wasn't intentional by the hacker. But I just loved how this movie kept drawing you in more and more, getting closer and closer, which is asking questions about the film and also about, like, as you said, 
Society 2018. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I like the little uh, explanation where Bella Thorne, they're talking about, like, should you be afraid to be hacked? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, the main characters is like, my iPhone looks like a fucking snuff film, which is... <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> uh, but then Bella Thorne's like, I don't have any sympathy. Like, this is what I was saying before, that yeah. she feels like we live in a world with no privacy. And then she has the whole thing where it's just like, this is a real thing that happens that I know happens. And just the fact that this is in the movie is just wonderful, where she says, I don't know, I guess he just really likes my Insta, you know? Like, he likes that I'm really real and I'm cool oh, and, you know, I'm just a free yeah. soul. <sighs> what are you guys doing? Looking at Terrell's hack. 142,000 downloads. That's like... Three times the size of Salem. I'm sorry, but I just don't have, like, any sympathy for people that get their shit hacked. For real? Yeah, I mean, there's two types of people in this world, you know? Like, the people that have come to terms with privacy is just dead. And, like, you know, then there's the old people that are still trying to fight it. I guess. I mean, the internet is amazing. Like, this guy in Minnesota, he's like 42, whatever. But basically, he subscribed to my Amazon wish list, and now, legit, he just buys me shit all the time. Why? I don't know. I guess he just really likes my Insta, you know? Like, he likes that I'm really real, and, like, I'm cool, and, you know, I'm a free soul. It's really sad, because basically 90% of people are just so sad and lonely and, like, have such an unfulfilling life. If I'm, like, inspiring people, you know, and my life is so cool and, like, people connect with me on such a level, then, like, basically my job for the day is done. But what's that got to do with people's shit getting hacked? Oh, hold on. I gotta get this. Hi, baby. It's just so crazy that, A, that happens in real life. I know that it does. Absolutely. But that, you know, random middle-aged men on the internet find through Instagram or through what, like, whatever, you know, I guess sort of seedier, not seedier things, but, like, through, like, you know, cam girl sites or through Instagram, like, even, like, innocuous things like Instagram, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. however you find these girls, there's people around the world who are like, oh, I'm going to treat this girl like she's my girlfriend, I'm just going to buy her things. And that's crazy on its own. But the fact that this is a movie where it just, not only is it included in the movie, but, like, it's just dismissed. It's like, oh, this is just a thing that happens. And... On the scale of things that are that is discussed in this movie, it's so inconsequential mm-hmm. that it's like, oh yeah, that's a, that's just a thing. Sure, okay, <laughs> I get it. Sure, I, maybe I don't get it, but like, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, no, it's it's true. Though I was really like when she's just like, oh, my life is so cool. I was really getting pissed off. Like, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. That does happen. Look, this movie goes to an extreme, but. Even in our society, it's not the most fucked up, weird thing that exists no. at all. No, it's not even close. It's just something that's kind of raised an eyebrow at, but it's not illegal or anything. It's just a little, huh. just a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Um, do you think that this town was called Salem because of, theoretically, there's a witch hunt happening? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Of course. Okay, I just want to check. Like, I remember midway through the movie, I'm like, hey... Oh, yeah, that's probably the truth, you know? Yeah, of course. So so, so I wrote it down. Uh, another line or a moment where someone questions if we're all characters in The Sims, but none of us know it. Yep. Which is a scary thought as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then right after that, they talk about uh, how porn taught me how to fuck. And they're like, no. And then the, other, the kid's like, well, porn taught me how to eat pussy. And the girl's like, I can tell by that statement alone that you've never uh, gone down on a girl. And, she, and he's like, well, you'll never know. And she's like, tragic. Like, it does, like, who, like... The kind of person who brags about that, like in this casual party setting, it's like, 
come on, like he's just trying to. It's just the the bravado, the braggadocio. But I love that the our main characters like just see through the bullshit. They're like, this kid, like he is, he's a fuckboy, right? Like fuck fuckboys. That he's just going to try to like brag his way into hooking up with one of these girls, and they just see right through him. I just I love that. Yeah, which is great. This movie fits a lot in about our society today. That, what's the runtime on this? Like an hour 45? It is an hour 47. Okay. Um, and I feel like the end credits are kind of like 10 minutes. So like it's, you know, not including the credits, which is uh, a marching band walking through Main Street, which is awesome. Uh, it's like 95, 97 minutes probably. Okay. So, you know, it's it's not a long film. And it's able to nope. pack a lot of uh, thinking points in here, you know. Um, the next, like, big scene I wrote down was when uh, we, we mentioned... I think the Apatow character has the bat murder. Kills Bella Thorne, yeah. (laughs) She kills Bella Thorne. With a baseball bat. And it's funny because, like, our leads here, they're still largely on the peripheral of everything that's going on around them. You know, they're involved, but it's not like... The whole time I'm wondering, how does this scene where they're all, like, militaried up happen? (laughs) Before we go further, I want to say, like, while that scene is happening, while Maud Apatow... Uh, kills Bella Thorne, with another voiceover from Lily, where she's like, I read this quote from the writer whose name I forgot, yes. and she's talking about how, like, 10% of people are merciful, 10% are cruel, and 80% can be swayed in either direction. I feel like that's, in a way, like, the thesis statement of this all. Like, there are the, there are the people who incite the riots, the people with the megaphones, the people, like, you know, the, court, the captain of the football team or whatever that team is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, let's go, kill that, let's go kill that guy, whatever. But most of these people are just, you know, willing to be swayed, and I feel like by the end of the movie... And I think it's, again, more maybe symbolic more than literal. By the end of the movie, behind our four main characters, there is an army of women on their side that, like, they sort of see, like, oh, no, like, why are we, like, when they hear, you know, Lily's pleas for help, right, that she's like, you know, be strong, be you, be whatever. They're like, oh, yeah, like, why are we trying to kill these girls? Like, we should be with them. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I feel like that's the 80% that can sort of get swayed one way or the other. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I forgot that that was happening at, like, the same time. So this must be around when um, Daddy's phone gets leaked, right? Yep. Because he kind of leads the charge. Joel McHale leads the charge. He's the one who gets everybody riled up in his, like, red skeleton mask. Yeah, yeah, which (laughs) I thought that was was interesting. But then, like, they figure out it's her, right? And then she's... Pretty soon she's chased down in the car by, like, that creeper guy? Or I don't know yes. who he is. Mm-hmm. Which, this is... I think this is where, to me, the film, like, went to another level because finally, like, our lead did some violent damage. Yeah. And rightfully so. She, so she's... What, she's... Maybe kills the guy with a shovel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's chased down by this asshole and she just whacks him with a shovel. So it's, it's a bloody scene. It, it's gonna get bloodier later, but I was like, wow, okay. We've moved yep. on to the next level yeah and then i wrote down you know like once they kind of like figure out that that weasel guy kind of reveals that like she her home has the most like uh data coming out of it so Mm -hmm. she's a prime suspect and pretty much lily colson at that point is being hunted would you say we're like two-thirds in at this point or yeah so actually that's where i'm at right now as i'm watching we're (laughs) we're an hour in so we're more than halfway close to two-thirds and this is where it just becomes I don't want to say a different movie because it's building to it, but this is the movie that I kind of thought 
from like just seeing the poster it was going to be the entire time. I'm glad it wasn't the back of the Blu-ray, right? Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't. But I was like, oh, okay. It was kind of like an epiphany moment. Like, this is how we get here. Yeah. How should we break this down? Because a lot, a lot of shit happens in a little bit of. Time. I don't know because I didn't really write down scenes because like things happen but they're not scenes. Yeah, like, I know. It was interesting. That's why it's kind of it's kind of hard to like talk about particular things. Oh, I guess we can mention the whole. Joel McHale aspect. She goes to him, right? Yeah, after she gets chased away. Well, this, that's that's at the end, like after the home invasion, which is oh really yeah, cool. yeah, she yeah. goes to him. We should, we should definitely um, talk about. It. But what I think is interesting is that the DVD or the Blu-ray is eight chapters, which for like an I mean, who knows what the right or quote unquote right or wrong way to do it is? But to have like an almost two-hour movie essentially be broken down to eight chapters, I feel like there's not that means like there's not clear delineations between things, and there is like things are just always happening, right? Yeah. That there's there's maybe not really big moments, but there's also not really insignificant moments. That they're just it's always this sort of like we were talking about before, the score keeps it going, the editing keeps it going, the the look, the feel, all of it just sort of feels consistent throughout. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess yeah, the first impactful scene is the home invasion of, of the Lacey's and yes. by uh by the town basically. Yeah, the town. Did mom set the alarm, Sarah? Uh, I don't know. I think I should go check. We need to go to... We need to go to Chicago or something. Did you set the alarm? I think so. Why? I feel anxious. I don't know. You want a Xanax? No. kill the mom. I gotta say I'm surprised that I thought one of the Lacey sisters was going to die here. You know, I feel like they are, in a way, supposed to be bulletproof. Like, I think at the end of Spring Breakers, not to spoil Spring Breakers, I'll try to talk about it vaguely, but the end of that game is very video gamey, where two of the two of the girls go and they just they get retribution, right? Like it's it's essentially the bride's roaring rampage of revenge from Kill Bill. Like this is like, you know, women on a mission, we're going to we're gonna set things right, right? And in this movie, at one point, I don't know if it's Lily or who says it's just a movie, right? Like I feel like there's a conscious decision that especially toward the end of the movie where they're shooting at those guys behind the truck that they never reload they never run out of bullets like i feel like it's supposed to be like Mm. we are impervious to bullets we're not going to die um we might get shot we might get you know stabbed we might start bleeding a little bit but we're going to make it through this because we are the stars of our own lives we are the stars of this narrative gotcha um i think i don't i don't know but i feel like that's kind of the thing especially because in that scene in that home invasion when they're watching that movie that movie from stray cat rock that uh delinquent girl boss where they sort of model their red jackets or their sort of again iconic outfit for the end of the movie they model after <laughs> these this japanese movie right okay yeah um, i was gonna ask what's the movie called again 
Delinquent Girl Boss. Huh. It's from a series called Stray Cat Rock. Gotcha. Which I was telling you that I bought on Blu-ray years ago because I don't know if it was like because you know how Tarantino like takes things like if you've watched Lady Snowblood. Uh, which is a samurai movie, which is awesome. Like, you've seen Kill Bill, right? Yeah. The first Kill Bill. So you know the scene where she battles Oren Ishii in the snow? Yeah. That's from another movie. Like, he just takes that and just, re- like, he, you know, remixes it, homage to that movie. But that's, like, from another movie. And, like, how he does that sort of thing, and he loves Asian culture and stuff. I don't know if it's because of Tarantino or just something sort of related to that, but I bought this Stray Cat Rock thing, and now it's out of print, and it's very valuable and whatever. But it's those kind of movies where it's, like, these influential badass ladies with samurai swords or guns or whatever just making the world right uh, which I think is just really cool yeah no I was like wow this is a cool movie I was literally going to be like Joey probably knows but is this a real movie it is yep Mm -hmm. which is yeah super cool and then everything now is coming together as soon as I saw that I'm like oh okay you know okay I guess we'll talk about the Joel McHale scene so she she runs to kind of Joel McHale and uh, that's her daddy but I think it's revealed that they've never had sex, right? Well, no, because that's the whole thing where he's like, I can't believe all this is happening and we've never had sex. And he basically, I don't know if he says it or he just like implies it, but he's sort of like, I kind of feel like I'm owed, right? Like, because like, you know, my wife and kid left me because of this perceived affair. But like, all it was, was he put his hand on her leg and listened to her and made her feel special. And then this set off this chain of events. And, you know, he's like, you owe me. Like, you ruined my life, Ugh. let me have sex with you. And no, just, I mean, just no. And then, you know, she gets a retribution by being able to slice his jugular with a uh, razor blade, which is badass. There was a dead person already there, right? Because the, the bathroom's full of blood. I think so. I don't I don't know, but yes. I wasn't sure who that was. I guess it doesn't really matter. I don't think it matters, because there's somebody in the bathtub, yeah. right? Like, he, that she, she sees somebody in the bathtub. And I, again, I don't know, maybe maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a kid, I don't know. It also doesn't matter. Like, he just, he's a psychopath. And we also see, after she kills him, she goes downstairs and sees his, like, arsenal of weapons laid out on the floor. She's like, what the fuck? But she realizes, I think, in that moment that, like, this guy is not right. Whether he's the one leading the charge or just influential that you know he was not a good guy yeah and i mean at the same time bex has been captured by like the you know the football player guys or i think they're football players i think so too yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) he's just implied (laughs) and they're gonna hang her we get a like a really 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 awesome scene where they're like rescuing her and it is very stylized in a sense and and i like your bulletproof theory because they don't just, like, storm, you know what I'm saying? They don't, like, storm the situation, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they, it's, like, very methodical how they do it. If I saw my friend about to be hanged, I probably would be like, oh, fuck, and, like, run as fast as I can. And probably not a good move, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know, in any second there, they could have pulled the truck back and done it. But it's just, ugh, I just, I just love their little invasion here. No, yeah, they're, they're tactical about it, which is cool. Again, who knows, who knows what happens with the the day after this movie, because Lily at the end of the movie does kill a cop. I mean, he's a he's a corrupt cop who's trying to kill her, but she pulls a shotgun on him and she kills him. Yeah. Um, and they murder people, and you know, it's in a way self defense, but also not quite. And who knows what what shakes out after this? But I do like that they are very smart about the way they do things, very tactical about the way they do things. You know, it's also like this is their house they have to protect they're, they're protecting their lives yeah yeah no and it's super cool where do we go from here i don't like like i know we get the whole army thing you know i love that yep. like toe-to-toe thing in the end and like I said, it's not like on scenes 
I feel like the rest of the film is mostly just like images and feelings, you know? Well, it is. It's sort of the, the, the collapse of everything that we've built up so far, right? Like we get the incredible exterior of the house as the camera just is like the one single shot of going around the house and coming back down and going from second floor to first floor and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's awesome. Like it's so good. And it's just them fighting back. Like this is now the movie that we were promised, right? This is the movie where they're fighting back. They're defending themselves. They're, you know, in the outfits that's on the on the cover and everything like that. So yeah, and it's just like badass. And like I'm gonna say this again, I loved when I was here how they did it because it the buildup gave them a reason to look this badass. It wasn't just like it's it's not like a stylized movie where a group of women just you know are badasses. Like I, you know what I'm trying to say? Like I I don't know if I can like articulate it well enough. That there was reason for it. Yeah, you know, like it wasn't. It wasn't just like one of these gore films where it's just like, look at these people kill people, which are cool in a sense. But this, you saw like a, a realistic society, more or less, completely fall apart into this kind of like gang rule anarchy. And how long do you think this movie takes place over? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, probably less than a week. Yeah, so it's like, wow. If that theoretically happened to a town, I don't know if it would get to that level, but it certainly would have devastating consequences. And it's not that unrealistic. Sure. (laughs) Which is is scary and mind-boggling. And I like one of the uh, underlying things this time, like how the federal government is not helping at all. Yeah. Because I don't know if they would in this kind of case. I also don't know how quickly you get there, because, I mean... It all takes place over the span of a week or whatever, but, like, for the most part, it's all just, you know, cybercrime, right? Like, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to stop the internet. Like, this is, you know, like, we're, we're pursuing whoever is leaking the information, but, like, that's the only person committing crimes. The, essentially, the purge element of this, where they all go crazy, is over the span of a night. So, and it's also at that moment where, like, the cops aren't going to call the FBI, no. right? So, like, because the cops are now, like, we need to kill these girls because they're wrapped up in the mob mentality, too, so... You know. And let, let's be honest, the cops in a small town are also just small town residents. Yep. You know, they're part of it as well. <laughs> uh, man. Heavy, heavy. Any Anything else at the end of the scene? I mean, end of the movie we want to talk about besides, like, it ended up being her brother? He did it for the lulls. Yeah. Um, they don't lynch Bex because Diamond has a change of heart. Yeah. And I do like, it's kind of a joke, but, you know, one of them looks because he, he goes up to her and she's like, thanks for not killing me, I guess. And... He just kind of awkwardly stands there, and she's like, okay, you can leave now. And then I think it's Lily who says, like, so I guess not all men, right? Like, you know, like, most men are terrible, but, like, not all men. So I thought that was just kind of, like, funny, because it's, like, the hashtag, yes, all men, a little bit of a nod to that. Yeah. I also wonder, because you asked before, will this stick around? I don't know. I mean, the world's not going to get better. I mean, like, in real life, like, the world's going to keep getting worse, I think. Like, we're just in a downward slope. Like, humanity's <laughs> terrible. I know that that's really depressing to think about, but, like, I wonder sort of movements or hashtags or trends or whatever like that that is that going to be remembered i don't know yeah no but this movie will probably be a good time capsule for as you said 2018 yeah i'd like to think that it's going to gain some cult status it's funny because like these cult films came out in 70s 80s 90s whatever and i just never thought about like who were the few people who did actually see them when they came out and maybe you're just one of the pioneers joey who, like, saw this film, loved this film, and in 20 years, everyone's gonna... Not everyone, but, like, 
auteurs are going to really appreciate this film. When I put together my year-end favorite movies list, I know that no one really gives a shit, that this is all just for me, that I stress out over nothing, (laughs) because no one really cares. People look at it like, oh, cool, whatever, and then they just click away. And then, like, months later, people will be like, did you see that movie? I'm like, well, did you you not read my list? Like... (laughs) It was my number three movie or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, um, I know that nobody really cares, but I also try to do this blend of like, of highlighting movies that I think not like like this movie I think is important, but I think that just should be seen. Like for years on Facebook, I stopped doing it because it sort of became this whole other thing. But like for years, I wouldn't put my hundred favorite movies in a note on Facebook. I'd say the hundred movies I think you should see that were, like, basically doing things that no other movies were doing. Mm. And I feel like this is the kind of movie... Like, like for instance, like, the movie Rubber. I don't know if you know about Rubber, but Rubber is about a killer tire, um, where a tire no. just murders people. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it rules. Like, it's great. It's so good. Uh, but if you ask me, like, give me the 100 best movies you've ever seen, or the 100 movies that I should see, or whatever, that, like, to sort of understand life on Earth or whatever. Like, Rubber would not be on that list. But if you were, like, give me 100 movies that do things that, like, you've never seen before, or, like, or someone like you, or you know, I, I was going to say Mike, but Mike has seen more movies than me because Mike's a, a lunatic. Um, that I'm, I mean, I'm a lunatic too, but like somebody like you who has seen a ton of movies, but like, and sort of understands, because especially for the podcast you're doing, when you watch a new high school movie, you're like, oh, I know exactly where this is going because this is like X, Y, and Z, right? You know what I mean? Like you've seen all these beats before. Mm-hmm. So if you were like, hey, give me movies that have done, and nobody's ever asked me this, so I just put this out into the world. But if you're like, give me movies that do things that have never been done before, I'd be like, okay, cool. Go watch Rubber because it's about a killer tire. Um, go watch Assassination Nation because it's, you know, it understands phone culture and meme culture and internet culture in a way that no other movie really does. Yeah, no, it's almost like, you know. If we pretend we're all professors and we're teaching our classes instead of just yelling out into the void, as as we do, it's it's definitely I don't know I don't know saying it's an important film might be too big of a stretch because I'm not sure if it had that societal impact. But I think it is. I think it's important. Maybe not in the I don't know because like there's people who differentiate pretentiously so films from movies you know what i mean like um or people who say like oh well you know my favorite film is citizen kane or what and just like those kind of things that like it's it's i could never like a movie like this or whatever and to those kind of people like to the, to the people that are in their ivory towers those coastal elites if you will <laughs> uh, like this movie this movie's not it's not it's not for them but i think if you're telling a story about the evolution of film or the evolution of storytelling or just, you know, what movies matter in 2018, especially in a time where there's so many people who I think very, very wrongly, and I'm sure you heard this a bunch because I hear it all the time, say like, oh, this year sucked for movies. Well, no, just maybe you didn't look. Yeah, yeah, and and I hate that too. You look at the Oscars, and the Oscars, I think, are kind of unimportant, um, but they sort of they matter to an certain extent. But like when movies like Green Book or Bohemian, and I also I, and I also got into a long discussion about this with Joe too, who's basically and I think rightfully so is like, well, you're just looking at it from like your sort of film criticism, you know, uh, snobbery sort of thing, and that's true. But I think when you look at movies where people who are sort of generally into movies but not like don't 
don't watch a movie a day like I do or Mike does or whatever. You go to the movies and you see like there's always a Marvel movie, there's always a DC movie, there's always like a a second or third in the series. There's you know generic comedies and stuff like that. You're like, well, there's like where are the movies? I feel like in everything you do, whether it's music or movies or video games or books or TV or whatever, if you just look on like a very high level. There might not be anything appealing, but if you dig down, I think every year is a great year for every medium. You just have to sort of do work for it. So I feel like if you're looking at it that way, I think that a movie like this that definitely flies under the radar is important because it is different. And that if people are like, well, the last, like 2018 sucked for movies. It's like, well, you might not like this movie, but like give this movie a shot because it's so different from what you saw in the, uh, the multiplex or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Any any other things you want to mention from the film before like we rate it or talk about it? I don't think so. Um, the one thing I was going to mention, um, when he says for the lols or whatever, well, we've said it a couple times, but the brother ends up being a very unsuspecting hacker. And he, you know, it, it kind of implies he didn't really have a huge central like anti-society motive. <laughs> At least that's what he said. Did you guess it could have been him? Well, I guess, so... What I was saying to you is if you look on IMDb, the trivia for this movie is terrible. Mm-hmm. And, like, the one spoiler trivia is, like, well, you know, the kid said it was Lily, but it's actually her brother because they share an IP address. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, like, I don't I don't watch movies to try to guess what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had thought about it, because it is a thing that makes sense that, like, they share an IP address to the outside world, right? Because it's, like, the location for the house. It's their router or whatever. So I didn't think about that, but, like, it makes sense. We know that it's not Lily, right? And when she looks up who the hacker is, she gets the IP address, the the firewall, the proxy, whatever, gets redirected to Moscow. So she doesn't know who it is. Yeah. Uh, little she know it's her brother in the next room over. You know what I mean? So I thought it was really cool, too, that she was really computer literate. There was part of me that was thinking, like, could it actually be her? And this the entire movie's a swerve. I'm glad it wasn't. But I, I do feel, and, like, what's sort of smart about that is that, like, it literally, like, these are... If they're, like, 17, 18, and 2018, they're born in 2000, so they're, like, either sort of kind of millennials or maybe Gen Z. Like, they're on that cusp, right? And this, these are the people who grew up with the internet at their fingertips. So, like, I don't think it's crazy to think that these just seemingly normal uh, high school girls um, are essentially more adept at computers than, like, my dad. You know what I mean? Like, because they grew up with, with literally in their hands. Absolutely. Um, they don't know a world without it. And so I like that the movie treats that so normally mm-hmm. that of course she knows how to look up to like do a like to inspect an element in Tumblr and figure out where the IP address is coming. Like it just of course she knows how to do that because like that's just something that she grew up with. Um, or if she doesn't know, she could just Google it and find out and just be done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then the movie doesn't make a big deal of it. Like it's not like there's like this whole like, well, how do I learn how to attack or whatever? It's just these are the this is what they <laughs> grew up with. This is how what they know how to do. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I love that element of it. Oh, the one thing I was going to mention, though, so when the brother says, for the lulls, it actually made me think about, we need to talk about Kevin, and something Alex, uh, Alexandra Schroeder, my guest in that episode, shared about that um, one school shooter, Brenda Ann Spencer, who, her excuse for shooting up a school was, I don't like Mondays, you know? And sometimes when these things happen, that we want, like, kind of this whole overarching I don't want to say conspiracy theory but like some kind of manifesto you know and sometimes it's just like as shitty as it is this you know 
like so many lives are ruined for someone just kind of having a having a bit yeah. of fun, you know, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. yeah. which is terrible, but it, it happens in real life. Like, again, I don't want to bring up mass shootings again, but something like that, or, or when these things happen, we are, we're always looking for, like, motive, looking for motive, and a lot of times we can't find it, and a good reason sometimes is just this kicks, you know, as fucked mm-hmm. up as it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that left me like, wow, at the end of the film. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. I kind of have a guess just judging by where you ranked it in your 2018 thing. But Well, first, what do you want to rank this film on? What, what scale? Um, that's a very good question. I was, I was trying to think about this during the movie, as I usually do. There's so many different things you could rate it on. I mean, number of leaks, number of hacks, uh, number of uh, follow requests, um, number of text messages sent. I don't know. Mm, yeah. What do you got? What are you thinking? I don't know. I, I, I had no idea. I was trying to think of something more concrete, but this is a movie where a lot of the drama... Is abstract. Yeah, <laughs> in the abstract world. Is it too cheap to do hacks, though? Is it? Fuck boys. Fuck boys. Um, Red uh, jackets or whatever they are. Because like, what I also think is not an important thing in this, the movie at all, but like the younger generation, like the, the age of these people that these, these characters are portraying, are not about things. They're about experiences, yeah, that's right? True, they're yeah. not. They grew up in an era where, you know, access is more important than ownership. Um, where they're not like, if they want to see a movie, it's just on Netflix or they rent it on Amazon. Like they're not. This is not the generation of people like me, and I'm still I know an aberration where they don't buy a DVD. Like they, the movie is just it's streaming somewhere. They just go watch it. You know what I mean? Or they go to Put Locker or they go to Reddit or whatever, and they just stream it illegally or legally or whatever, right? So oh, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and so I, I feel like for as seemingly artificial as this movie is, that this is, you know, like, look, like, this is kind of, you know, I think it's, I think the DVD or the Blu-ray cover says Mean Girls Meets the Purge, right? Like, it's, it's these people, like, it's the plastics, sort of, uh, in a, in a world where they want to be killed. And I feel like if you looked at, you know, Regina George's house or whatever, like, it's all things, because it's a different generation. Like, it's, it's yeah. ownership, right? Like, it's, it's possession. It's, it's flaunting your wealth. Here, we don't really have a sense of whether they're wealthy or not. They just their phone is the most important thing. So maybe it's phones. Maybe it's just smart. Like maybe it's just phones. It's because that's who define. That's what defines them, right? That's where they. That's how they communicate. That's how they find the outside world. It's just it's a thing. Like you know they don't they don't own things. They want to live. They have experiences. Live live through things. Do things. Maybe not you know be on the run for their lives, but not not that so. yeah and i think the phone is a good thing to do Let, let's do phones because it's that gateway right between the abstract and the reality and it's tough because i gave what have i been on for i was on for edge of 17 which i we did like 33 of 35 lunches <laughs> that was a very abstract scale um i was on for last picture show which i gave five out of five yeah you were on for uh summer, summer 84. 84 and tokyo drift oh of course I have a pretty good track record with you. Show. You only come on for the special things. Yeah, <laughs> I know that. Like this is not in 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 this. But uh, maybe it is. I was gonna say in the scale of cinema history, um, to be to sound pretentious intentionally for a second, is this as important as the Last Picture Show? Probably not, but maybe. I feel like as good as the Edge of Seventeen is, and as realistic a depiction as that is and how great Haley Steinfeld and Woody Harrelson and all these different people are in that movie, I feel like this is... Like, I feel like in the... In theory, in the shifting landscape of movies, Edge of Seventeen doesn't get mentioned. 
right? Because like, it's a very good version of a movie that we've kind of seen before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is whether you like it or not, something very true to itself that we have never seen before. So I guess for that reason, five out of five phones. Damn. But, you know, I'm not surprised. To uh, go back to Edge of 17 for a bit, because you made me think about it. Edge of 17 does something that, like... Edge of 17 perfects something that's been done for many years. It's just, like, a very good example of your stereotypical high school film. This is something completely different. And and I don't blame you for giving it a five at all, you know. Um, I'm going to give this one a four phones, though. Okay. And I think that's a high score compared to a lot of people anyway. Um, sure. The only reason I'm not giving it a five is just, like, I'm talking about all these films, you know. And mm-hmm. And if people are, like, going by my theoretical reviews, I know this film is not for everybody. And I, I don't think it's necessarily perfect. It exceeded my expectations, especially from what I thought I was going to get into. Like I said, it's not Edge of Seventeen or something like Sixteen Candles or anything like that. But it's certainly, it certainly could be remembered for being very groundbreaking. And I hope it is, if that makes sense. You know, I want more people yeah. to see this film. And I get why you recommend it. And I, I don't think you're necessarily recommending it for people like, hey, you want to have a good time tonight on a date or something like that? You know? No, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm not a psycho. <laughs> oh, man. So, so that's four cell phones for me. I think you might know the uh, next question, Joey. Oh, I was also thinking about this. I, I Actually, I do have an answer for this. Okay, go What ahead. sleeping bag you bring into the slumber party? I'm in a sleeping bag decked out in emojis. Oh, I like that. But not like the emoji movie one. Like, no, not the emoji movie, but like, you know, there's emojis that they show on screen. There's at one point in the, in the tri-cut, the, the, the split screen, where they just put an emoji over the guy's face. Yeah. Like, this is a movie where, like, emoji just part of, it's, it's part of the conversation. So, uh, a sleeping bag covered in emojis. In my, uh, in, in, in the real world, where I have yeah. to work a real job, and I, high school slumber parties, amazing revenue streams don't sustain me. Um, people I manage are generally maybe, like, 20 to 24, 25, and the emoji it just becomes such a huge part of even business conversation, you know, which mm-hmm. is amazing. So I actually like that sleeping bag because it, it's realistic, and I know the older generation probably doesn't want to hear that, but to communicate with anyone under a certain age, emojis are expected or they think you're yelling at them, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy, but no, that's fair. I, I like that sleeping bag. Oh, one thing I want to mention. So this film ends with like credits, where it's kind of like a marching band that goes throughout. Yep, yep. yep. And I've named this month uh, March through March Marching Band Awareness Month. Oh, because cause okay. Joey, I don't know if you're aware, um, but there is no high school marching band film that I could find. There are marching bands in a lot of films, but there's no, like, one based on a marching band. And I think that's... Really? Isn't that strange to think about? Well, this one time at band camp. Yeah, there's, like, little things like that. Like, one time at band camp. And I would say at least 50% of all the films I've seen have a marching band in them. But there's not one that's that's based on the marching band, you know. So I I had uh, Kara on a couple weeks ago to talk about her tuba skills 
Mm -hmm. um, I had Kyle on as well. But I'm trying to bring on guests who previously have served in marching bands. So, and, and when I saw this, I'm like, okay, so it's proving my theory that marching bands exist in almost every type of high school film. But again, there's no high school marching band film. I'm trying to think... That I could find, at least. It's like, kind of like the Christmas films with high schools. It's not a marching band movie, but you should add the movie The Fits, F-I-T-S. See if that's a high school movie. That's a very good the movie. The Fits, okay. F-I-T-S. I think it's high school. Um, it's more dance versus boxing, in a way. It's 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 great. The Fits. Um, the Fits. Interesting. Um, I'm just trying to think of movies that are sort of, that remind me of marching band. I mean, in the movie that we're going to talk about next, the other movie that comes out today, the Tom Tom Club for Cruise Club, All the Right Moves, is not a marching band, but Leah Thompson plays a saxophone. Yeah. So she's in a... I guess it is a marching band. Which they don't march, but it's, you know, the the school band for the football I think team. she's in it, but it's not necessarily, like, about her and the escapades in right. the band. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's... I'm, I'm, I guess it's, it's not surprising that, like... Uh, Bring It On is, like, it feels like there should be a Bring It On about marching band, but I feel like cheerleading is a sexier uh, topic than marching band, but I don't know. Yeah, everyone keeps telling me about that Bow Wow film, but it's a college film. Uh, is the movie Nerve on your list? Nerve, no. Add Nerve, I'm going to be on Nerve. <laughs> okay. Again, check that that's a high school movie. This is, again, the sort of thing where I'm just like, they're students, but I'm pretty sure that's high school. Yeah, this has come up recently on a couple podcasts, both on air, off air, and I was going to ask you, but then I solved it myself because I, like, watched part of it. But uh, what's, I think it's Half Nelson with Gosling. Yes. And that's not a high school film. It's a middle school film. Oh. But that's one where you could easily think it's a high school film, but I'm pretty sure they're, like, 7th or 8th graders because I, I double-checked, and then Kyle also checked for me as well, and it was middle school. Because we were just talking about Ides of March, and I was like, oh, you know, I want a Gosling, I want more Gosling high school films, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I think he's in Remember the Titans. He is, and you're going to be on that whenever we get to that, because we're only doing four a year. I forgot about that. Um, I forgot so, you guys were doing so three or <laughs> three or four years. <laughs> oh, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, Joey, anything you want to plug besides uh, All the Right Moves, which comes out today? Um, we'll check out Too Fast, Too Forever. I mean, if you listened a couple weeks ago, or, or three or four weeks ago, whatever, to our Tokyo Drift crossover, you already know about that. Um, that's the the big thing. And then, you know, Fridays are for fun. Me and Mike, uh, resident historian Mike Manzi, who you know from this, one of my five dads. <laughs> uh, every Friday, we are going through the Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks uh, filmographies, alternating. Brian, you've been on a handful of episodes already, so I know you've plugged them already a bunch. Um but yeah, just just go check those things out. Just go to cageclub.me. We are now up to, I think, 25 shows. Crazy, crazy. Um, we put out like 40 or 50 episodes a month, so it, there's probably something that you like on there if you want to diversify your palette from just High School Slumber Party. But this is also, you know, this is one of our crown jewels of podcasts, so just keep listening to this. I'm going to plug this show. Just keep listening to this show. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joey. I appreciate it. <laughs> and thank you so much for coming on. As you said, you, you'll you be on many times again. And thank you for introducing me to this film. Consider me in one of, of those that you suggested it to that were happy about it. You know, <laughs> Maybe not happy, yeah. but I'm happy I saw it, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joey, thanks so much. Thank you. Big thank you to Joey for coming on The Slumber Party this week. Big iconic thank you for introducing us to this film. Introducing... I think a lot of people to this film, Assassination Nation. Even if you didn't like it, you have to say it's an impactful one. So thank you so much, Joey. 
And if you liked hearing me and Joey talk, well, we mentioned it on this podcast, but Fridays are for fun. And I have another episode that I guessed it on, Joey's show, actually, Joey and Mike Manzi's show, Cruise Club, the Tom Cruise podcast. It's part of their Tom Tom Club thing, and that one was all the right moves. It's an awesome high school Tom Cruise film. You definitely want to check it out, along with all the other great shows on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. So your homework for next week will be to watch a film. Ironically, or maybe not ironically, I don't know. Maybe I'm not using ironically properly. We'll have to contact our vocab teacher. But uh, the film is a Nicolas Cage film. The Cage Club namesake. It is Peggy Sue Got Married. Peggy Sue was once crazy about the guy she married. I have certain unresolved feelings about your father. I don't trust him. But tonight, at her 25-year high school reunion... Well, Charlie won't be here tonight. We're getting divorced, actually. She'll disappear in time. And arrive in her senior year of high school. What am I doing here? You passed out for a minute, that's all. Oh, Mom. What is going on? You're home now. What do you think, Peggy Sue? <laughs> you bought an Ansel. <laughs> now, she's got the chance to start over again. I have a headache. This time, she'll know better. Did we break up? Because if we did, I don't even know about it. What if you fall into the hands of some madman with plans to manipulate your brain? Well, that's why I was getting a divorce. I'm a grown woman with a, with a lifetime of experiences you can't understand. Girls mature faster than guys. Digital watches and miniature television sets. Oh, and huge radios. I mean, for some reason, everything else gets tiny, but portable radios get enormous. Peggy Sue and Mr. Square Root. Let's make love. What? You mean sex? From Francis Coppola. Well, at least I got to see you and Grandma again. Kathleen Turner. Has this ever worked before? The last time was 600 years ago. Peggy Sue got married. I could be trapped here forever. Change your destiny. Marry me. Will you marry me? I don't want to marry anyone, Richard. Why not? Polygamy is legal in Utah. Nicholas Cage. I'm proposing to you now. I may be crazy, but I'm not crazy enough to marry you twice. Peggy Sue got married. Peggy Sue got married. And our guest next week is someone I'm really looking forward to talking to. I really love her articles. Her name is Kate Hudson. One of the many Kate Hudsons I learned, but Kate Hudson. And I read her articles on Pajiba. I think she has a very funny and interesting take on a lot of things. She really wanted to do this movie. So excited to speak with her. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm really, really pumped for this one. I get to drive the wheel on a Cage film. So, you know, it's going to be awesome. So I definitely kept you long enough. I won't waste any more of your time. Though I hope you had a good time. <laughs> anyway, I leave you with the song that they played in the credits. Appropriately, it's a marching band song. I'm happy about that. But it's a college marching band that plays it. Jackson states, we can't stop. Later, dudes.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.